Welcome to Reading in the Attic, a podcast featuring old and new fiction with a retro feel. My name is Camille LeGuire, and I'm literally reading these stories to you from my attic. So pull up a dusty chair and settle in. Let's see, where did we leave off last week? Denver, having recovered from nearly freezing to death, has taken the initiative and headed out to siphon some gas from the bad guys, in hopes of getting away by car. Vicky is lurking in the shadows, keeping an eye on the kid. Kevin's stepmother is trying to get over her self-pity and take care of herself. And Sly is headed out to a highway rest stop to make the ransom call. But we begin this episode with a character we haven't seen since the beginning. Vicky's dad, the grumpy state trooper, Andy Blur. Harsh Climate by Camille LeGuire Episode 4 Just before the rest stop on Highway 49, Trooper Andy Blur sat in his cruiser, which was hidden behind the base of a billboard where he could see the speeders coming, but they couldn't see him. But he didn't care about speeders right now. He'd been able to get a bolo out on Vicky and friend, since they were minors, but Beryl of Dispatch was talking to him on the cell, trying to assure him that it wasn't necessary. She's a smart kid, Beryl said. She'll be okay. You know where she's going? She's going off to teach ballet to underprivileged kids, he said. She can't even make it to her own classes on time. Sometimes a little real life straightens them out, Beryl paused. Andy, we've got an update on the Amber Alert on the Anderson boy. They've abandoned the van, and they could be driving a dark SUV. That it? A dark SUV? said Andy. Or maybe a light one, according to the witness. Andy watched as a dark SUV pulled past him into the rest stop. There were six others on the road behind it, and when it pulled in, it pulled in among a dozen identical SUVs already at the rest stop. Beryl, this is SUV City, he said, and he hung up. None of the SUVs in sight were doing anything suspicious or illegal. But the little red sports car doing about 110 past the rest stop was. So he switched on his lights and chased the red sports car instead. The driver of the dark SUV, which had just passed Andy Blur, was Sly, who was being careful not to do anything suspicious or give cause for a cop to pull him over. He pulled into the parking space in the long line of cars where others were coming and going and talking on cell phones. If anyone traced the call to this location, no one would remember one guy talking on a cell phone. No one would remember one dark SUV from all the others. Sly pulled the kid's phone out of his pocket and looked it over. It wasn't a full-fledged smartphone, but that's what made it so sweet. It was a prototype from the kid's dad's company, a Jetson-style retro video phone, all buttons instead of a touchscreen, but it still handled cool apps. He turned it on and scrolled his way through the functions, just admiring for a minute before getting down to business. He probably would keep it, in spite of what the boss said. It was pre-release. He wouldn't be able to steal one like it. But he did have business to take care of, so he scrolled through the numbers in the address book to get to Dad. Then he dialed. 
Judy stood in the ladies' room, looking at herself in the mirror. She had sought out this lonely spot in an out-of-the-way corner of the hospital, near a wing which was being renovated. She needed to be alone. She had just got a call from Aunt Sally, who reported a successful coup. Sally was now Kevin's guardian and had full durable power of attorney, and Judy had nothing to worry about, except being kicked out of the house after Peter died. Marriage meant something, unless your husband had an ironclad will and all his money in holding companies and tax shelters. She stared at herself in the mirror, fixed her makeup, and tried to imagine starting over. Then she heard a muffled buzz. It came from the plastic hospital bag at her feet. Peter's phone? She bent down and dug through the bag, past pants and shoes and jacket, and finally found it as it buzzed for the fourth time. The display said Kevin, so she pushed the answer button before it went to voicemail. Who is this? she asked. We got your kid, said a threatening male voice. He sounded like a stereotype. If you want him back, you're gonna... I don't, said Judy abruptly. The man stopped speaking. What? he said. I don't want him back. Judy looked at herself in the mirror and realized the truth of it. She didn't want Kevin back, and she wasn't even horrified at herself. She was full of rage. But, said the man, and then he got back to his threatening tone. We'll kill him! You've already killed his father. What? No, we didn't. He had a heart attack. He's holding on by a thread, as are my hopes for a better life. When he dies, I'm out on my ass. I hope you're happy. The guy paused. Can I talk to somebody else? He said slowly. Yes, you probably should. Call the house. They'll have your money. Okay, said the guy meekly. Uh... What's the number? You got it handy? She hung up and threw the phone back in the bag and broke into tears for one racking sob. And then she paused. I don't want Kevin back. That's what she told the man. She took a deep breath and grabbed the phone up again. She quickly scouted to be sure that no one else was in the bathroom. Sly sat in the SUV and looked at the phone in confusion. That was not the way a ransom call was supposed to go. He scrolled through the phone's address book, but couldn't find another number that looked right. Not one that said something like home. He pulled out his own cell phone and called the boss. I called, but I don't think I got through. Did you call the wrong number? No, boss. I used the phone's number for Dad. Some crazy lady answered. Maybe some maid got into the booze or something. Shit, said the boss and Sly agreed with the sentiment. Can't you find another number? I'm looking, but none of them look right. Sly scrolled through again, but just then the kid's phone rang. Hold on, it's ringing. Don't pick it up until we've figured this out, said the boss. Sly was busy looking at the display. It said, Dad, so he answered. Uh, hello? It was the crazy lady, but she sounded less crazy now. I'm so sorry, she said. I've had a very bad day. I can get you that money after all, I think. Probably more if you cooperate. Okay, yeah. I mean, no, lady, you cooperate with us. Of course, of course, she said calmly. 
To start with, though, I'll need some proof. We'll get you a proof of life. Oh, no, she said. No, I want a proof of death. What? said Sly. I want you to kill him. I'll pay you. Sly sat back. This wasn't in the script at all. He put the other phone to his ear to talk to the boss. She says she wants a proof of death. The boss was silent for a moment, and then he started to laugh. It's not funny, boss. <laughs> sure it is. Well, what do we do? Tell her the price is double, said the boss. No, no, wait, triple. Sly put the kid's phone to his other ear so he could hear them both. Okay, lady, he said sharply, but the price is triple. I see, said the crazy lady, who sounded amused rather than scared. Let me talk to the head honcho. He spoke into the other phone. She wants to talk to you. No way, said the boss. I don't want any contact except through the kid's phone. Tell her you're the boss. I am the head guy, lady. You talk to me, said Sly. Oh, that's too bad, said the crazy lady. I only talk to the actual head guy. Lady, he's not even here, said Sly, giving up. And yet, I hear you talking to him. Goodbye. Wait, said Sly. Y you can talk to him. No, shouted the boss, though Sly barely heard it as he fumbled with the phones. He heard a beep as he flipped the kid's phone around, but thank goodness he didn't accidentally hang up. He put the phones together, speaker to mic, and called loudly, Talk to each other! Talk! And they talked. Denver crouched behind the sports car and watched the gas flow slowly into the can. The hose was thin, and the gas didn't move fast, but at least it had a little pumper, so he didn't have to get gas in his mouth. He pumped it to see if he could speed it up a little, and found his thoughts drifting off. He was beginning to think that Vicky called him Denver, because she couldn't remember his name. Well, to hell with that. He should come up with some name for her. Except he could only think of nice ones, like Dancer or Indigo. Maybe he should call her Bonnie and see if she noticed. No, bringing up Bonnie and Clyde, who were a couple, was not the right move. She would misunderstand, and that would be worse. He heard the back door of the house slam. Vicky would have been more careful not to make noise. Unless something was wrong. He lay flat and looked under the car, and he recognized CJ's feet. CJ ran past the car and down the driveway to where Denver had originally dropped the gas can. He noticed it was gone. Shit. CJ turned around and headed for the car. Denver slipped quickly around to the front, away from him. He had to leave the gas can behind. Denver watched under the car. He could only see CJ's feet, but when the big man stopped cold, he could tell it was because he saw the gas can, with the siphon and everything. C.J. turned toward the culvert, and then he took another step, as if he was going to head around to the front of the car, where Denver was hidden. Denver eased around to the other side, but there he could be seen by the windows of the house. He picked up a stone and chucked it toward the bushes by the shed. C.J. wheeled around and went roaring in that direction. Denver quick-slipped around the back of the car and found the gas can overflowing. He yanked the hose out and capped the can and lugged it off toward the front of the house which was closer, and also had curtains and more bushes.
but mostly it was the opposite direction from the one C.J. had gone in. The question was how to warn Vicky that the big creepy guy was on the hunt. Vicky already knew that C.J. was on the hunt. She'd been sneaking through the kitchen when C.J. looked out the window and saw the gas can was gone. She flattened against the wall as he ran outside, but he didn't see her. She paused to peek down the hall, where she could hear the boss talking on the phone. His back was to her. Let me guess, he was saying. You're the stepmother. Then he laughed in a nasty way that Vicky didn't like. Was this the ransom call? She slipped into Kevin's room, and she looked out the window and saw that Denver was not in sight, and that C.J. was standing and scanning the area. So he hadn't caught Denver yet. She couldn't tell if Denver had got the gas or not. She watched to see which way C.J. went so she could avoid him. But then she heard the boss's voice drift in from the other room. We'd be happy to kill the kid for you. Vicky turned. She glanced at Kevin, but he didn't move. Maybe he hadn't heard it. She wasn't sure she had. She crept over to the door and listened more closely. So what's the hurry? asked the boss. And then he listened for quite a while. So, the kid has to die before the dad, or you don't inherit a thing. That's got to be tough on you. Sure, we could do it fast. That just depends on what you're willing to pay. Vicky went back to the bed and pulled off Kevin's hood. His eyes were wide. He'd heard. She touched a finger to her lips. They changed their plans, she said quietly. We've got to get you out of here now. The boss flipped his phone shut and grinned. Oh, this was great. If he played it right, he'd get a ransom and a bonus for killing the kid. The only problem was that he didn't trust the stepmother. He had some ideas on how to handle that, but first they had to beat the deadline. If the kid's father died before the kid, the deal was off. But all he had to do was kill the kid in some way that helped prove when the kid died. Then he could withhold it until the lady came through. CJ, he called. We got a new plan. You're gonna like it. CJ didn't answer. The boss went into the kid's bedroom, which is where he thought CJ had gone. The bed was empty, and the hood and duct tape lay on the blanket. Shit. The kid couldn't have been gone long. CJ had been there just a minute ago. The boss himself had seen him just as the phone call started. He checked the window. It was nailed shut. He glanced around. Not many places to hide. He checked the closet, but it was empty. He was just about to check under the bed when he heard the kitchen door. The boss ran into the kitchen. CJ was just coming in from outside. Did you see him? He stole our gas. The kid got loose. I think he's in here someplace. I was in the front, and I would have heard the door if he'd gone out the back. C.J. shook his head and scowled. He's outside. He was stealing our gas. C.J., for all his value as a brute, had a one-track mind. No point in arguing that a little kid couldn't steal their gas. Where's your hammer? said the boss. C.J. pointed to the counter where he'd left the hammer and nails after nailing shut the windows. You got all the windows? Good. I'm going to nail shut the front door. You watch the back and I can search. I'll look outside. 
Stay here and watch the door, ordered the boss. CJ fidgeted and stayed. The boss headed for the front, but behind him he heard a crash that sounded like glass breaking. He ran back to the kitchen. CJ was throwing glasses on the floor near the door. The kid doesn't have shoes, he said. If he's in here, he'll cut his feet if he tries to run. I'm sure you'll enjoy that, while you watch the door. The boss headed for the front again and heard C.J. crushing and scattering glass behind him. He reminded himself that C.J. had his value and went to nail the front door shut. Unfortunately, the old door was made of very hard wood and it took a lot more effort than he expected. Vicky and Kevin crept quietly from under the bed in Kevin's room. She could hear the boss pounding and swearing in the living room. The front door was well out of sight of the hall to the kitchen. Then she heard the kitchen door. C.J. had gone out. The coast was clear. She grabbed Kevin's hand and they scurried toward the kitchen. That's when they saw the glass all around the door. Kevin stopped. Vicky looked down at his feet. All he had on were socks. Oh, crap. She grabbed one of the brooms from behind the fridge and went to sweep, but then she realized the boss had stopped pounding. C.J.? he called from the hallway, not the living room. Too close. She grabbed Kevin's hand and they both tucked themselves in behind the fridge. She held the broom in front of her. A hard thrust with a broom handle to the stomach could cause some real damage. Unfortunately, she had pulled herself into the hiding space with the sweeping end up, which wasn't such a great weapon. The boss came into the room and looked at the glass on the floor and the door. He swore long and hard at CJ, but then he paused. Vicky's heart stopped for a second, but then she realized he was looking at the basement door. It was ajar. Vicky had not latched it fully when she snuck out earlier. The boss set down his hammer and nails and crept closer to the door. If he turned around, he'd see them. But at the moment, he was just interested in the basement and the floor near the door. There was still a little bit of mud on that floor, a footprint of Denver's that Vicky had somehow missed. The boss pulled a gun out of his pocket and carefully pulled open the door. He took a step down to see into the basement better and reached for the light. His other hand held the gun. No hand left for the railing. Vicky charged out from behind the refrigerator, broom held low like a battering ram. She knocked the knees right out from under him. For a second, she thought he was going to fall backwards into the room. But he had been leaning forward just enough, and the push propelled him the rest of the way. His knees buckled and he tumbled out of sight. Vicky slammed the door shut, but there was no lock. She threw herself against the door to brace it and gestured to Kevin. Run, she said. He looked at the broken glass and looked at her. Give me that chair, she said. He pushed it toward her and she fixed it under the doorknob. It was the right height and jammed in there pretty well. By this time, the boss had recovered himself and was battering at the door. The door shook. The chair slipped a little. She grabbed up the hammer and a nail and drove it home. Then she nailed in another one just to be sure. Kevin picked up the broom and swept aside the glass. She glanced out the kitchen window. CJ was still in the backyard, looking around. He glanced over his shoulder as though he heard the sound of pounding and cursing, but apparently he didn't care. He looked away. Then the boss stopped making noise. She heard him head down the stairs. Why? To get a tool? Crap. 
C.J. stepped out of sight, maybe going around to the side of the house. Or maybe he was just pacing. She couldn't be sure. She waited a moment. C.J. didn't come back, so maybe... Then she heard the boss come back up the stairs. Bam! A bullet ripped through the door and tore into the floor not far from where Kevin was sweeping. Vicky decided not to wait. She grabbed Kevin up over her shoulder and ran out the door, crunching glass under her boots as she went. Denver had heard the hammering and thumping coming from inside the house. He knew something was wrong. He had heard Vicky yell, run, and he heard the boss swearing. He was pretty sure the pounding was the boss. However, Denver couldn't do much of anything because C.J. was standing in the middle of the backyard, looking for him. He glanced over his shoulder as the pounding stopped. What did that mean? But then C.J. started to move, toward Denver. Denver held still against the corner of the house. There was slight cover from a bush which had almost no leaves. Luckily, C.J. was looking at the field toward the front of the house. There was a lot of thick brush there, and it might be a good place to hide, although probably noisy to get through. C.J. pushed into the bushes, making a lot of noise himself. Denver slipped around the back of the house. He glanced back and went to look in the window just as the shot was fired. He jumped back away from the window. Was somebody shooting at Vicky, or was she doing the shooting? You never knew with Vicky. And the shots would have to draw C.J. back. He turned to look just as Vicky came running out the kitchen door with a little kid over her shoulder. In spite of the load, she jumped gracefully off the porch and headed off at a run. Denver picked up the gas can and followed. She glanced back and saw it was him, and they both raced madly for the cover of the shed as more gunshots fired behind them. Hey! hissed Clyde. I thought he had to stay behind. They were going to kill him, said Vicky. You got the gas? The kid looked scared as he held on to Vicky for dear life. He also looked too big to be carried. Then Denver noticed his feet. He hasn't got any shoes. They heard more gunshots from the house behind them. No time to discuss it. Denver set down the gas. Take this, I'll take him. Denver took the kid over his own shoulder and peeked around the shed. C.J. came trotting around the side of the house, looking for where the shots were coming from. Once C.J. went into the house, Denver took off for a patch of woods that was further along the culvert that ran behind where they were standing. Where are you going? said Vicky. The car's that way. They'll see us crossing the field, he said. She didn't argue. She picked up the can and trotted along after. He patted the kid on the back. You watch out for the bad guys coming up behind us, but don't worry. We'll take care of you. Okay, said the kid. Inside the kitchen, bullets shattered the door around the nails, but the chair was still under the knob. Quit shooting, shouted C.J., and he ducked low and kicked the chair out from under the knob. The boss staggered out, limping a little and carrying a pair of damp blue jeans. You killed him, eh? You made sure he was dead, eh? The boss shouted at him. He's been right here in our freaking house the whole time. He threw the jeans at C.J. with disgust. C.J. had done wrong. He'd known it as soon as the guy came back to steal the gas. But C.J. was not a screw-up. He was not like Sly. 
It made him mad when people yelled at him, especially when it was the boss. The boss liked him. He shouldn't yell. If I nailed the door shut, said CJ sullenly, I couldn't have got in to help you. You'd be stuck. And if he'd stayed put in the kitchen, they would not have got out at all. He was already outside, boss. I had to go out and look for him. If he was outside, how did I get locked in the basement? Did you do it? No, boss. Will Sly get to keep that nifty phone? Will CJ get to kill anybody? Will Denver get his old battered Oldsmobile going? Stay tuned for next week, but that's it for this week. The story is Harsh Climate by Camille Laguire. It's available in ebook form at Amazon, Apple's iBookstore, and other online booksellers. Theme and story music by the Royalty Free Music Company. Until next time. See you in the funny papers. <laughs>